sponsored by Dan McCabe, um, providing high quality audio at affordable prices, mainly because he dropped his mic off at my desk for free. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, Huel's yet to reach out to me, um, NordVPN, all that lot. So this is the, the Game Dev Origins podcast. So if you're new here, which you probably are, because I think we had like two listeners last time, um, welcome. This is basically a podcast exploring uh, the origin stories of different game devs from around the games industry. And today I'm joined by Stefano Doriano, the greatest producer who ever lived, unless another producer comes on later. Please don't um, hold me to that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, welcome, Stefano. Welcome, welcome to to the chaos, mate. How are Thank you doing? Thank you very much for having me, mate. Yeah, it's been good. It's been yeah. good. Good day. Yeah, uh, yeah, stressful, busy, always, as producing goes, so, you know, can't complain, though. Producing, so, mate. So, like, what have you produced today? Uh, meetings. <laughs> Produce meetings, <laughs> just that's it? No, what? yeah, lots of meetings, lots of meetings, no. Tons of, tons of really important work, so, but, you know, as uh, NDAs go, that's, uh, you know... See, this CR is... will come after me if I. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Imagine if he's listening. He's the, he's one of the the few that listen. He's like, oh, let's let's get the inside scoop on what's going on. Nah, yeah, actually, it, it's terrifying, man. Because like when I so, I, I mean, I still I have a better idea of what what a producer is, but um, yeah, I think to everyone around kind of the internet and and, and in the industry who isn't a producer, a producer's kind of one of those mysterious roles and especially as a student like i don't know can you break down what it is a producer does so obviously you schedule meetings and stuff but you know what yeah. what is that role that mystical role how would you describe that 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 amazing role? oh man do you know what it's like um the classically going back to like the talks and stuff that i do on these like, uh, like powerpoint it's like what does production do and it's like that's a very good question um no um I think, like, overall, producers are really, like, there for the team. They're basically there to ensure that, you know, depending on the level of producer you have, um, so we'll take, like, a team producer, for example. They're usually someone that will basically help facilitate and guide the team with the team lead. Uh, They'll be there to kind of, like, schedule out the work that that team will need to do for X features or X thing for your game. Um, And they'll usually work with the lead and then sometimes the seniors on those teams as well and kind of plan out where the team should be going, the amount of work that needs to be done, if they're on track, what other teams will also need to help you with that work. So they do a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, they just do Jira. They do not just do Jira. Um, that's like, you know, the one the one thing I will say is like, you know, we do a lot more than that. Um, but if you're more of like a high-level producer, um, somebody who's usually in like mid-level to like senior, you'll be doing a lot more high-level planning. So you're not actually like, touching base with the teams you're touching base with other producers that work with those teams and those high level producers will basically be the ones that go okay based the years 40 example 40 different teams are all doing these different features how how are they interacting where do they interact and then where do they meet at the end point to basically release a game kind of thing so um is the best kind of i don't know description i could give <laughs> i think yeah, um, it's a good description i think it's a really hard thing to to describe to be honest like unless you're you're in it because 
I don't know, in my head, I can't even comprehend how that much communication even happens. Like, where do you even go about organising yeah. that kind of thing? It's um, like, every day, coming in, like, out of work, I look back at the amount of messages that I've sent, and it's ridiculous. Like, you literally, you live and die by, like, Teams, Jira, Confluence, Excel, all that sort of stuff. You'll do work down, like, work breakdown structures where you're, like, planning out features with the team, and you're constantly revising that as you go along, because if the scope changes, if, like, improvements are made to tech, that sort of thing. So, it is really just a kind of case of, um, you know, you're constantly on the ball and constantly doing stuff all the time. And if you're not updating things properly, then you're usually the one to first to notice and usually the first one to get called out for it as well. So <laughs> That's what the, the execs come after you. Yeah, exactly. They come to you Grab and they're like, why is this not done? And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where's my schedule? Um, yeah, so, I mean, just touching on, on kind of uh, what the podcast is about, really. Um Let's let's rewind the clock. Let's go really far back, um, and I guess let's start right. I guess what what was your earliest kind of memory of game dev? Because um, obviously, Ooh. I think the producer role is a really kind of hard one to actually. I don't know. Um, I, I don't even know what the skills are that are needed. Right with artists, it's like right, cool. Mm-hmm. You're, you you want to be an artist. You've got to make a portfolio, and then you've got to get good at art, and then you know go. Whereas I, f- I feel like producer has like a kind of lot of cross um, cross industry skills that maybe are yeah. applicable in other areas. So yeah, let's just go back and start. I guess from from what was your earliest memory of kind of wanting to work in games and and you know how did you get to where you are now? Oh Christ. Um, okay, so if we go back, so I obviously I listened to Dan's podcast before this, so we could probably go back as far as Dan to be honest. I think or even earlier. Um, yeah, so in classic fashion, anybody that's in the games industry has probably been like, I've played video games since I was five years old and that sort of stuff. So that's where it really started was like, love video games, want to work on them, playing games as a kid, that really drove it. Um, I would say though that like the production kind of skill set and aim didn't really come into fit. Well, the production skill set, I started very early on, like when I was 15, 16. The actual wanting to work in production probably didn't come around until I was about like 20, 21. Um, so in terms of like production, like skill set, um, I started off basically teaching swimming, um, like professional swimming and, um, jujitsu, which is like a, a martial arts folk that, um, aren't, don't know about that. Um, so yeah, it was basically started teaching swimming, um, started off teaching toddlers to like 12, 13 year olds, basically club ready swimmers and also adults like swimming for the first time as well. Um, and because you're kind of put in a position of like you're looking after loads of people, you're guiding, coaching and training and that sort of stuff, you build up a lot of like social skills, problem solving skills and also being able to like adapt to certain situations as well. Um, and considering that you're like in a pool and it's somebody's first time swimming, no matter the age, there's a bit of danger in that as well because it's like, you know, there is the possibility of somebody drowning, you know. So you have to be like on your toes all the time and making sure that it's a safe environment for people to learn and you're not putting them off. Um, Jiu-Jitsu, same kind of thing. Again, it was teaching younger kids at the time when I was like 15, 16, and that continued on until I was about 18, and it was the same kind of thing. Um, During that time when I went to uni, um, I studied game design production. Um, so I went to college for that first and then went to uni. Um, and during that time, I actually worked at Game, like the retailer. 
um, and became like a, a assistant manager there. So I got a lot of like skills, not only just like being a sales assistant and you know you know Lewis, like you know talking to people every day, like you know being told I don't know anything about video games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, trading in manky controllers and like you know consoles that look like they've been lit up by like fifty cigarettes. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> the beauty is game retail. <laughs> Um, mad horror stories from oh, that place, man. Just, actually, uh, cursed, genuinely oh. cursed. Oh. Do you know if, like, if you're listening and you've got a friend that works in like retail, especially if they work at any like CEX game, anything like that, just you've probably already heard it, but ask them what the state is. Some of the things they see getting traded in because it's it's beyond cursed, genuinely. Um, but yeah, so I've um, basically worked my way up in that, got to assistant manager, and then worked as that for a few years while at uni. Um, did that, built up the skills necessary to actually be like, you know what, um, I can look after a team, I can help support them, guide them, coach them, train them, all that good stuff as well, while also like maintaining a store. Um, that really built up those kind of skills that you need. And again, like I keep going going back to like problem solving, but that's like one of the really big ones, communication and problem solving. Um, being able to diffuse situations as well comes really handy from retail. Uh, you don't necessarily need it all the time in game dev, but you know it's good to have the skill set just in case. Um, and then yeah, I um, got into my third year at uni, finished that, and then halfway through my fourth year, um, I was applying around and I applied to Cloud Imperium, and here we kind of are. So that's like the the start to finish of like you know early game dev all the way up till pretty much now. So yeah, what a journey. I and know. you still use those jujitsu skills today, don't you? Like, oh, I know. <laughs> whipping the teams into shape, <laughs> dodging their bullets, mate. That's it. Literally, oh my god, today that was. <laughs> I've never seen. We, we had a context. We, um, I think, I took a few shots at, at the leads uh, in the lead corner at work, and, and I started a nerf war. It's, it's probably yeah. the biggest one we've seen since moving into the office. They don't happen often, which is quite yeah. surprising. You know that like Greedo shot first. It's actually Lewis shot first. Yeah, so. I did. I did. Yeah. I, I admit. I admit to that. For good reason. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, so, yeah. I mean, what, what what would you say are like the key the key skills you need to be a producer? Then, because obviously, like, there's a lot of crossover with other mm. you know areas. Like you said, you worked at game and stuff, and you you got some like managerial stuff there, and you know, um, yeah. it's working a lot. Uh, you know, working a lot with people, right? So. What, what would you it say, is, I, I yeah. guess, if we can say, right, what's the top three skills you'd recommend to for, for someone who wants to do production uh, to go away and learn? Oh, fuck. Um, yeah, I'm putting you on the spot now. <laughs> um, I, provide, I, just, I just want to let you know, I provided Dan with like a full rundown of what we were going to talk about. Um, yeah, it's, what is this? But today... Uh, favoritism, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? You're, you perform better under pressure. This is one of the uh, producer skills right there. Like Actually, yeah, that is a very, very good... Being able to uh, produce and actually like work under pressure effectively, 100%, I think that is like one of the most important ones. Production's very, very stressful. Like, I, And not to put people off, like, again, I enjoy being stressed, but I don't enjoy being stressed. But genuinely, it's like the job has a lot of responsibility and making sure that things like come out on time and looking after the team and making sure that you're not like putting the team in a difficult situation um, and that sort of stuff as well. Obviously you have like factors around that that help stop that, but 
you know, ultimately it's your job to be there to say, well, actually, if you want to add these extra five things in, it's going to take this long, and maybe that's not a good idea, and inform it. And again, ultimately, if the gods decide, no, we're adding it, then you're like, cool, and you have to make it work. So there's the stress of trying to make sure something doesn't go in if it doesn't fit, and then the other stress of, oh, we're fitting it anyway, okay, how do I make this work? So I think working under pressure, definitely. Um, That's number one. That's number one. What's number two? Oh... There's like so many like core skills, man. Actually, <laughs> all um, right, give us ten. Give us ten top ten. Give us ten. <laughs> Tell you what, I'll do. So communication, obviously, problem solving, absolutely. So those two are fundamental. Um, problem solving comes under a little bit under the bracket of working under pressure because you have to be able to obviously work under pressure, but problem solve while doing that too. You have to figure out how best can we, you know get around this feature, complete this feature, you know, like, how, if you suddenly start losing staff due to, like, days off or, like, holidays, sickness, that sort of stuff, how do you mitigate that impact, raise it up, make sure that, like, the team's prepared, but not just that, other teams are prepared as well, um, which then also ties into communication, because communication is, you know, if you can't communicate to the producer, then, you know, I would, uh, personally, I would be questioning what's going on, you know, like, the whole point of a producer is not only talking with your team, but talking with other teams, supporting your teams as well. Um, you tend to find that, and from my experience, is like both as being a manager and also now working as a producer, you tend to find that a lot of your like staff, for example, don't always like to go to their manager because there's this barrier of like um, seniority. And sometimes they feel like they can't go to their manager for whatever reason. And it happens in every single workplace, like no matter where you go. Um, producers will sometimes be the ones that folk, if you know you come across well and you're a good producer and you communicate well, people will come to you with their issues and stuff as well. And you get the chance to really like connect with people on your team and even as well like other people on other teams too um, and you kind of get to be that middleman that kind of voice of reason as well as like just an ear to listen um, if people want to vent they can vent to you because you know that you know realistically depending on the situation you're not going to go to anybody else they can just come to you and be like do you know what I've been heard I feel satisfied I've been able to vent and the producer's like yeah yeah go you you vent yeah <laughs> yeah you're so- you know at the moment, you're sort of just the, the you're the pillow we scream into out yeah. of frustration a lot of the times because you've got so much visibility over a lot of things and and you see the bigger picture and it's yeah you, you're just always there, mate. You're always there. You always yeah. you always know what to say to calm that, me down as well. The um, bigger picture is always scary, man. Like genuinely, it's like you look at everything like a and again depending on the level of producer, like different companies will do it differently. Some producers don't have full visibility. Some do. But like when you do have full visibility of a project to a certain degree and then you have people coming to you, you really have to be able to, you know, it's like, you it's not the professional term, but you have to be the shit umbrella. You have to like, you know, <laughs> filter everything down and stop, you know, <laughs> just all the crap hitting the team and just, you know, not selling them the dream of like, you know, oh, like, you know, everything's fine and huffing that copium. It's more like just, you know, being able to be realistic with people, but also, you know, be able to give them good news and be able to filter out what's not good and what will benefit them and what doesn't benefit them, you know, um, and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, you have a you have a lot of visibility over. I mean, how many how many people would you reckon, or how many teams, I guess, do you oversee at the moment? Because like you have quite oh. quite a lot of visibility, don't you? Yeah, I think like well. 
free and shout out to Rob and John. Honestly, they keep me sane. Um, the two producers <laughs> I work with. Um, so I think before they joined, I think I was looking at like producing for about fifty staff thereabouts, and that's between like you know environment art, lighting, props, level design, that sort of stuff. And then since they've come on, it's really kind of like eased the you know the stress of it all which well i say ease the stress it's not ease the stress but it's helped a lot um and they're fantastic so they are they look after some other teams as well so at the moment i look after lewis's team so i look after interactables um i look after the lighting team uh i look after um one of the environment art teams but i also do a lot of um overall planning of like um the locations department and like where they're gonna go down the line. Um and I do a lot of um event planning as well. So for people that play Star Citizen, stuff like IE um and stuff like um Fleet Week for example, you'll have seen probably Philip on the recent like Star Citizen um ISC. Him and I um do quite a lot of the like planning and stuff for those like kind of events and things. So yeah. The man who makes everything happen. <laughs> no. It's more like there's obviously like, and again, like it's one of these things. It's there's tons of people, like tons of producers that put effort into because almost every single team has a producer and they've got other producers underneath them. So it's never like a one like person effort. It's always like a obviously again, it's obviously a team effort. It's game development. It needs to be a team effort. Um, but yeah, I think like to be fair with us, we do look after like between Rob, John, and I, we all look after a massive amount of teams, um, because just because the locations, like department in general, is just huge, and there's so many different skill sets that need to be within that, um, which I think for any producer that's like looking to get into the industry, like learning pipelines, like I understand how to a certain degree how 3D assets are made. I can model purely but I can do it I can code purely but I can do it um, but I understand the pipelines of like if we need to get an asset from A to B I know how long that takes roughly based on obviously Lewis's estimates but I can <laughs> I can see exactly you know like where where certain things should be in the pipeline and I'm also there to help guide the um, leads on making those pipelines as well if a producer's worth their salt you'll usually see them they won't just be stuck in Jira, like I was saying, they won't be stuck in Jira, they'll be doing other things like helping guide teams with making pipelines, raising issues, like risks, you know, like obviously continually planning, but being there for that team. So, you know, many fingers and many pies is basically what a producer does and has. So Yeah, literally like uh, I mean, just an example, I, I obviously know the producers in our area, in, in our local area, you know, local producers. <laughs> Our local within shooting range. Yeah, yeah, within Nerfkin range. Um, but obviously, yeah, like they, you obviously get to interact with a lot more teams whenever like bugs come in, they get triaged. Like a lot mm. of the time with with like Stefano, I, I'll get a bug through, but I won't even know about it because Stefano will identify it. He'll he'll know what it is either based on something I've taught him or something he's picked up just through working with the team, um, and it will be redirected and. Like I said before, he's kind of the the umbrella. He's he's the shield that guards the realms of men. He, he protects me from from any stuff that I shouldn't need to worry about that can go straight to other teams. And and obviously, there's a huge network of like you know different producers across the project across both projects. Um, mm. You know, so bu- bugs go flying everywhere, and and yeah. It, it, it's crazy, man. Because like, I I don't even. This is another thing I want to talk about. Like you know, where do you even 
learn about being a producer, right? Because, yeah, university courses cover it, but at least from my experience at university, um, it was kind of very narrow. We didn't really have much of a production kind of education. Um, we had a we had a lecturer join in my last year called um, Alan, um, who came in and he basically started getting like Jira involved and stuff like that. But like you know, for for those coming through university that maybe don't have access to like you know a lecturer to teach them about that that kind of stuff, is there any resources you'd recommend for like learning this stuff? Because there's a lot of high level stuff, right? Um, mm-hmm. That you need to know, and you know, obviously there's all the the jargon and the, the terminology I don't even know, but like you know, like waterfall yeah. and uh, agile and all, all these horror things. horror corporate words that scare the crap out of me. Methodologies, I... mate. Hate methodologies. <laughs> there's too many, too many. Um, no, yeah, like I get like uh, it's one of these things. There's loads of resources out there, but they're so like personally, and again, sorry to any lecturer, but like they're so fucking boring because they're just textbooks <laughs> and it's reading. Like I'm more of a visual learner personally. Like I learn through looking and doing. I hate reading. And I just don't soak stuff in. Um, the best thing that I could probably say for any like student that's looking to get into production, if you're if you learn well by doing exams, through reading and that sort of stuff, I would definitely look at getting books based on like um, agile methodologies. Um, so looking like your scrums, your kanbans, that sort of stuff. Um, stuff on waterfall, you can easily read about them online as well. Like scrum.org is a really good website for stuff about that if you want to learn about you know scrum training. Um, I say that because that's a lot of my work like background is agile like methodologies, natural agile production. Um, but there are tons of resources out there that are free to just read. If you type in onto Google like production methodologies, it'll come up with stuff. Um, not all of them are used within games industry as well. Um, so just bear that in mind. Like some of them will be really efficient, and some of them are more common. Um, depending on obviously the project. Um, you'll usually tend to find like a project that's got like a life cycle of A to B. Um, they'll maybe try and use Waterfall, but they might use Agile as well. So it's, again, companies are very, de- like, it depends. Um, if you're somebody, and again, this is obviously for sort of, and as well, if you are somebody who, you know, does exams well, reads well, and soaks in that information, but also for people who don't, like me, where it's like, you know, you'd rather just get your hands dirty and actually learn through doing, um, making mistakes, and actually learning from them and doing it that way. Um, Anything like game jams, for example, are a fantastic opportunity. Like, they're small like projects usually weekends and they're so critical to have somebody that's like doing the production side of those it doesn't need to be a massive job but it's just to keep the scope down and keep everybody on track because otherwise you're going to be sitting there with you know a game that's like oh i want this game to be like almost triple a level and you've got like two days to make it and it's like right okay you know you need somebody there to like toe the line to be like well maybe actually let's not do this you know and like actually guide the team um Aside from that, though, any, like, university projects, don't be scared to, like, take the initiative and go, do you know what, I'm going to produce for this team. A lot of the time, and don't underestimate it either, because, again, university is performance-based, and production is very, very hard to actually grade based on, you know, actual like concrete evidence because with production a lot of the time you're going to use stuff like you know and again this is an example of um softwares if you want to go and have a look at is like trello you can use as like a substitute kanban board instead of jira 
Um, I think Airtable is also free. Airtable is like a database um, software, but it's really, really handy to actually like use because you can integrate that with Jira later on. Um, Confluence, again, is another Atlas thing, but you can basically just use Word. It's the exact same thing. It's just an online you know, typing tool. Um, or like Google Docs. You really want to kind of you know, help show using those softwares, help show to your university lecturer that, yes, you understand production and understand all the like back and forth between the teams, but you also need to be able to show, you know, you can actually use these pro- like programs efficiently, understand these methodologies, what's one right for your team, um, and kind of, yeah, just push it from there, I guess, is like really kind of it. So if you're books, any kind of methodology, production methodologies, um, Agile Scrum can uh, Agile Scrum is Agile sorry my brain is so hot in this room <laughs> yeah, long like, full, full spin <laughs> yeah exactly Agile Waterfall anything like that you'll find others as well um, they're not coming to me at the moment there's like um, there's like jargon terms for a couple of them as well um, Game Jams if you can be to produce for Game Jams do it um, also on your university projects produce on those but if you want to also take up another role like design or art or something like that, just make sure that like if you are doing production and that is what you want to really focus on after uni, make that your sole focus like to begin with. Because what you don't want to do is go, oh, I'm going to do design and produce. And then suddenly the production side of it just falls off and there's nothing really any kind of evidence of you doing it properly and somebody else has to pick it up and that sort of thing. Um, it's all fine about saying, yeah, I'm going to do production for this team. But at the same time, it's like, if you let that slip because you've decided you want to do design as well, then, you know, that might affect your grades. It might not, it might, but, you know, you never know. <laughs> okay, so, like, let's strip it back, right? So, yeah, that was a if lot. We're, if we're doing, so, say say I'm a student, right? Um, yeah. I'm at uni. I'm, 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 I'm wanting to be a producer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a game jam about to happen. What What is it I can do, like, what can I actually create or produce to kind of demonstrate to an employer that during this mm-hmm. game jam I've produced, right? Because a lot of the time, a game jam game will just happen anyway. Um, what what kind of things can producers do um, to kind of provide evidence that they've produced well and, and kind of done their job, essentially? Because, like, mm-hmm. obviously, um, I, back at uni, there, there was I've seen a few examples of teams where there's been a producer... Yeah. Um, and they've kind of just coasted through and said, you know, oh, I've made like a to-do list. Um, and then at the end, they, they put on their project, you know, I, I've produced for this project. And then, you know, sometimes employers look at it and go, right, well, you know, there's not really any evidence of that. What what, yeah. what can you recommend to kind of students to to produce during that time? Like what, what techniques? I think... I think like top five things, right? Um, now strip game jams aside, because they're uh, game jams will be like kind of obviously smaller projects and things. Like for your actual uni projects themselves, right? Which will be the better example is first off, sit down with your team, make sure you basically record every meeting and ensure that you keep track of what meetings you've booked, what meetings you haven't booked, um, any notes from those meetings, that sort of thing. If you can take on making you know presentations for the teams, I would do that as well. Um, so that's one. So presentations, meetings, um, and things like that, and notes for meetings as well. Um, if you're looking for any others, um, like the next point would probably be 
be the one to organize work breakdown structures with your teams. So essentially what those are is basically you looking at a high level what the game is you want to make and breaking it down in a kind of table format that um, the, the entire team is able to actually like consume and digest. Um, all it could literally just be a set of cards and you go, cool, we want to make X game, right? What games, what features do this game need? It needs five features. Cool. Right. What's in those five features? Ten things per feature. Cool. And how do we get those ten things to be done? Right. Well, we need, you know, 40 tasks, for example, per thing. And that's how you break it. So by the end of it, it looks like a kind of pyramid. So you can easily follow all the way back up to say, right, okay, so if we finish this task, that will then apply to this task, which will then apply to this feature, that will then apply to the overall game completion. And being the one to organize that while like, you need doing with your teams, that is like really good evidence to be like, you know, this person knows like how they're doing, how to produce the team and guide them. Cause that's really what they're looking for. Right. So first point is obviously meetings, um, and kind of obviously looking after the team, making any presentations. Second one would be work breakdown structures. Um, the third one would be maintaining and creating like a Trello board. Or if, again, if you want to work in Kanban, doing it that way. If not any kind of like program that does like um, sprints, I would very highly, um, or not very highly, but I would probably be very surprised if anybody would successfully be able to pull off a waterfall methodology at uni. Um, because uh, there you're obviously trying to be creative and expressive and scope changes all the time and it's very difficult to work that way. Um, obviously, the same thing happens in actual game development. Um, but being the one to like kind of maintain that trail board and take snapshots of stuff, it's really, really important during the entire process. You don't need to do it when you're in the industry, but when you're trying to prove to employers and trying to improve to the uni that you've actually produced properly, taking screenshots of everything at different stages of development of what you've actually done, um, whether it be like screenshots of, and again, I'll use an example like a Trello board, super important. Um, any documentation writing, so yeah, so Trello, or making a Trello board and keeping that up to date, making sure that people are on task, um, and that if they're logging any time as well, so making sure that teams are actually like applying you know, times to the task so you can actually keep track of it. You can then take that um, Trello board and put it into Microsoft Project to make a Gantt chart, for example. That Gantt chart you can basically use as well as evidence, and you can screenshot that um, and use it as well. So I would say presentations, uh, meetings, any of that, keep records of all of those. You've then got your work breakdown structure. You've then got your Trello board, Kanban board. Microsoft Project, if you can, if you find it easy to use that, if you don't, any other kind of software that really kind of shows you a Gantt breakdown, because that should be influenced by your work breakdown structure. And that is being able to show those two connecting back and forward really, really helps both with employers, but also with your uni. Um, and then the fifth one as well is what I did at uni was basically every week, I basically wrote a little note section um, just for myself, but I kept it in a separate doc about what happened that week, you know, if there was any issues, what the risks were, um, and how you mitigated them. Um, being able to show that you keep an accurate track of any risks that the team found, what happened to those risks, and what you did to mitigate them, or what the team did to mitigate them. It all go for miles. One of the biggest things in production is risk management and mitigation, you know, um, and being able to show that you're doing that that early, that early on 
is like it's gold dust genuinely the amount of time that i've even seen and even from when i did it as a student looking at wrists and being like i oh, know it's fine it's all right don't track it and it's like no like that that needs tracked and it's so important especially when you come into actual game dev because your one wrist that you might not track could you know screw up a feature and make it not go out on time so yeah so i guess going from the top presentations and meetings work breakdown structures Trello board or Kanban board or even a sprint board, anything like that, depending on the methodology you're using. Then going into Microsoft Project and creating Gantt charts, even if you don't maintain it, as long as you've got proof that you've got those and you're actually, you know, trying to make something tangible out of it. And then um, your risk management is the last one, I would say, because your Trello board as well will act like a Jira board kind of um, to a certain degree. So, yeah. But Stefano, you missed the most important thing. Oh, no, don't tell me. What is it? Retrospective. <laughs> oh, not the retrospective. That's the, the one thing I bang on about at work as well. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing. I was like, this is going to be top of his list. Happens all the... Like, what is it, every not... two weeks, and you, you didn't even... Classic producer. You didn't even include yeah. that. I mean, to be fair, if you're, yeah, if you are working in like a kind of sprints or if you're working in scrum, then absolutely retrospectives are super important. Um, when you're at uni, it's one of the things that like, again, it gets glossed over quite a lot as well. Something I never did at uni, it probably would be beneficial to do. Um, but yeah, no, I can't believe I forgot retrospectives, man. (laughs) (laughs) Rob's going to listen to this and be like, oh, you're such an idiot, actually. Yeah, he'll, he'll probably ask to come on. Yeah, right he'll be ones. like, right, log your time, <laughs> let's get a retrospective going, you know. Yeah, nah, like, uh, I like I like retrospectives because they're the only chance to get to moan about, like, anything, mm-hmm. officially. And then, yeah. and then I send Stefano away to go and, like, moan at people about it. It's brilliant. The one thing I will say, though, is if you do retrospectives, uh, like, and for a uni project, the one thing you really have to be careful of is... Um, inter-team fighting so depending on the person there's a lot when you're at uni you'll tend to notice that there's a lot of like big egos and big personalities and it's like I'm become, I'm going to become the next big game dev and all of this sort of stuff and you find folk like that all over the place you get Stop the really really shy me. folk <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> I'm built different <laughs> Um, but you find like really really shy folk and then you find really really boisterous folk um, and sometimes when you're put into a retrospective in a big group, it's really, really hard for people to be able to actually speak their mind, especially when they're in teams that have just been formed by the uni. Um, if you're in a team with your own friends, sometimes that's even worse because nobody actually really pays attention to them and doesn't take them seriously. They might do, they might not. Um, I, so I would just, if you are going to do retrospectives at uni, just keep in mind that you're not there to control the situation or control the conversation. You're trying to encourage people to talk, and if they don't, you need to find a way to get those people to express their concerns, whether that's getting to know them or you know just getting closer, like speaking to them on a daily basis and making them feel comfortable. You can't go away and be like, "So how are you doing?" And if they don't, you have to go, "Oh, I'm okay." And you're like, "No, but like, how are you doing?" And forcing that you can't do that. And retrospectives aren't the place for that either. If they don't want to talk, they don't want to talk. That's fine. But it's your job to make sure that they feel safe and happy enough that if they do have a complaint, they can complain about it. And then you just need to make sure that you know if people do complain about other folk in their team, they do it openly. Prepare for the fallout. Um, <laughs> the fusing situations, like what I was saying earlier, you know, because oh man. 
That'd be rough. <laughs> you sound like a corporate sleeper agent. You're like, oh, I'm gonna gonna make friends with this group just to learn how I can make the project better. Yeah. Then, like, if, <laughs> if we ever leave, you just cut all ties with me. It's like, I've been a... that wasn't real, bro. I'm just trying to improve the uh, the workflow. You know. <laughs> Employed by the company, yeah. <laughs> company sleeper agent. I told yeah. you about my family. <laughs> that's, on the you. that's on the Kanban board. That's on the Kanban board. What didn't he go well? Oh, you spy. <laughs> Corporate spy, man. Corporate spy. But yeah, I, it's not a, yeah, I, like, I don't know. I say that not to like worry people because it's like, again, like you'll have so many different producers that have so many different opinions about it. But I think from personal experience, like genuinely, don't be scared about, you know, stepping in and having to take control of a situation if people are, you know, getting on each other, arguing. If somebody's not being a team player, bring that up. Like, be the one to raise that. To Not even just, like, like even your university lecture, raise that up. Be the one to initiate that conversation. But, like, if you find that there is inter-team fighting and it's happening in these retrospectives that you're trying to do, diffuse the situation and just try and find that common ground. A lot of producing is trying to find the common ground between teams and making sure that everything you know, goes smoothly, so, and it is good practice, even if you don't get to show it as evidence, you know, you'll be prepared for when you actually go into the industry, so, you know. It's super, super difficult at uni anyway, because, like, half the people, I, I don't know, we had, like, a kind of collaborative game dev experience at our uni, and it was it was very difficult, because half the people wanted to contribute and, and put the work in, whereas, kind of, the other half looked at it as kind of like a DOS unit, you know, one that you didn't really have to put much effort into and focused on their own stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So it is, it is just really difficult at uni in general. Um, but yeah, like, like, like you said, it's about finding that common ground in it and trying to, to kind of push on that. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. is there anything else you reckon that? I, I, I don't know. Say you're a recruiter oh. for being a producer. Is there any anything specific? they would want to see if they're hiring for a producer role. Oh, Christ. Um, yeah. I'm not it's like every single question I'm sitting there being like, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I think the one thing is, like, if you're coming out of uni, um, and again, like, you know, if anybody's listened to this and there's other, like, producer game devs out there, I'm more than happy for you to tell me that I'm wrong. Um, I think, for me, if it was experience is like the best thing and i know that everybody's like oh but you can't get experience by working in an industry if you go to uni and you want to become a producer and all you do is you do uni projects that's fine and fair enough and it shows that you can work in a team and everything but there's no real world experience right because uni is a controlled environment that it's set up specifically so that if you do fail there's no repercussions and while that's like it's not a bad thing because it lets you learn you do need like real world experience outside of that that goes, do you know what? This person has actually been able to deal with this properly. There's been real stakes involved, you know, minus maybe, I don't know, like your degree for whatever reason, but like, you know, like I get like working I'm in retail, for example. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 80 grand in debt, I've not got a degree. Fuck. No consequences. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you know what? You oh, man, stress, actually. Um, but yeah, no, like, um, oh, my brain is so hot. Yeah, real world experience, going out, even if it's like volunteering for like a charity, organizing stuff, like, for example, Lewis and I are STEM ambassadors at the moment. You can basically go away and talk to schools about like, you know, your university um, experience, that sort of stuff. 
Um, working in retail, getting like a part-time job, I know that not like working during uni is for everybody and I get that like, you know, there's certain predicaments and whatnot. Um, I don't know how it was for Lewis, but for like me, my mum and dad obviously I had the safety net of my mum and dad, but I was never funded through uni. All of my like rent, bills, anything I wanted was all bought through work essentially and minus student loan, but it was also done through work. <laughs> um, so having that real world experience of like maybe even just like having a job, it shows that, you know, you can actually work outside of a uni setting and that you're not just some robot that's come out of uni and being like, oh, I'm very prepared for industry because you'll come out of uni and you absolutely will not be. Like that's just an absolute God-given fact, especially with production because universities do not teach you properly at all and they do not give you the proper experience for it at all either. Um so again, apologies any university lecturers are listening. But um yeah, it's just for me personally, real world experience I think is like the biggest thing that I could suggest. Go away, get yourself involved in things. Even if it's like game jams outside of uni, they're better than game jams within uni, you know, that sort of stuff. It's so. hard, man. We're, we're sold this dream when we go to uni that, like, when we come out, we're all going to be ready and, like, you know, it's going to be great. But reality of it is, like, you're competing against, you know, everyone. And mm. there's more and more games courses in the UK than there's ever been. Um, and it's just, it's ultra competitive. And well, honestly, I, I, I in the same boat, I, I, I came out of uni and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be able to find a job, like... Um, I had a part-time job just like you did. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I did all that, um, and still my work my work wasn't good enough. Obviously, I'm an artist, so like you know, it's the quality of the art and the time that I put in, um, which you know eventually led to me leaving the country to find my first job because I just got rejected from everywhere. Like no, no one even wanted to give me like you know a, a chance. Like I wouldn't even get past the initial process. They just immediately like skim through. Um, and the reality is you're just, you know, most, what was it, Ubisoft was the job that I got in Romania, but, like, they replied to me in the UK and they were like, you know, we've processed 3,000 applicants for this job and, unfortunately, like, you haven't you haven't made the shortlist or, or, or something along them lines. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's 3,000 people going for the same job that you're going for. Like, you, you need to do something to, to kind of stand out because... If you don't, you just you look like every other person that's just finished your course, right? Um, yeah, production, that's like, it's harder to it's harder with production to even build those skills, right? So it's like you need to bang on about it as well, right? Like I don't know, you look at any sort of university like lecturer and course, and they'll be like, "Yeah, you need like actual experience, and this course will prepare you for the workplace." And it's like, no, it won't. The only person I've seen that's actually been prepared for the workplace out of uni is Alex. Like genuinely. Oh it's, my god! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, like I know, like you guys were talking about Alex. Uh, do you know what? Hyping him up to be so like god artist, right? But like genuinely, <laughs> their like TGA's uh, like work is just it's the university students come out there are cracked genuinely, and it's like the their purpose their uni is purpose built for that, right? So any other university, no matter what course you go on, you really do need some sort of like extra experience whether it's real world or another game jams and stuff um if you speak to anybody on like linkedin for example or like any other students like recent graduates that have gotten jobs 
nine times out of ten they'll be like and again it was the same for me it's like nine times out of ten they'll go oh I was like really lucky to get this role you might get one person or two people that are like no I actually deserved it and it's like right okay fair enough but a lot of it is especially for graduates luck because there's some studios that will only really hire hire students and there's some that will never touch students at all you know Um, and yes you might have the skills for that but realistically if you be able to show that you can do external things it'll do dividends for you you know It'll do bits. Can confirm. It'll it'll do bits, mate. Aye. Honestly, like, the game assembly, like, that's TGA um, in Sweden, if, for specifically for artists, I don't know about, I don't think they do production, it's just art, right? Um, But they they have, like, a a rigorous selection process. Like, they have to submit, like, a portfolio before they're even allowed to come study the subject. And it's like, it doesn't have to be the most cracked portfolio, but, like, you know, they submit some art to show that they're committed and they only accept people that, like, you know, are going to put the work in. Um, and compared to UK unis, a lot of UK unis will just accept people and, and the first year you can't fail. I'm pretty sure yeah. you can't fail the first year uh, at a UK uni. Um, and then that really, feeds really? immediately. I, I think so. I, I might be talking out my ass, but um, I'm I'm pretty sure... First year like, is not graded to well, it's not graded towards your final degree, so it essentially no, no, no. doesn't matter. Yeah, you just need to make sure um, you turn up like fifty percent of the time, right? Yeah, and that's yeah. It. and yeah. and then you, that immediately feeds you into the second year, which means you're you're two years of tuition deep into your <laughs> your happy debt place, um, and then <laughs> you know by by that point, um, you know I think you start to take it seriously, and then you can make it to third year. Um, but yeah, it's just like, it almost seems just like a money-making machine. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed my uni experience because it, it gave me deadlines, it gave me the motivation and, you know, the kick up the arse to, to structure my day. Because back then, I was, like, really, really lazy and I, I wouldn't get up till, like, 1pm. Um, and then even then, I'd, I'd, like, doss about all day playing games and then I'd actually start playing, like, uh, like actually working in the evening. But then... You know, I really got my arse in gear when I went to uni and stuff. And even then, with all the the hard work, you still come out and it's you. You've literally got to be, you know, going from year one and know what you want to do to get to a level now where you're you're competitive. Because you know, I decided on art in my third year. I I, I don't, when was it you decided on productions to find? Was it like it was like uh, third year? Third as well, year, wasn't it? yeah. Third year, yeah. You did like show me your portfolio. I've seen your stuff. <laughs> You're a VR developer for two years before you changed, like... Yeah, <laughs> genuinely. I made, like, what, two... Like, I will say very... Like, if, again, if you ever look at my portfolio, because it's, like, it's linked pretty much everywhere, genuinely, it's dog shit. It's, like, <laughs> the VR stuff that I... <laughs> it's so bad. Um, and it's, like, it's stuff from, like, second year, third year. But, like, yeah, I was doing, like, VR stuff for, like, most of third year. And then fourth year, my actual, like... Um, Fourth year, my actual like final project was gonna be like a VR Alice in Wonderland style game. Again, massively overscoped, you know, classic student project. Needed a producer. VR, it's gonna be honest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like it's insane. And then looking back at it now, I'm like, Christ, I spent like, you know, and I did the same thing. Like on my days off when I wasn't at work, I'd like start working in the afternoon and stay up until like three, four in the morning. Sometimes just like bashing out work, and it's like. <laughs> That's so bad, man. Like, I don't understand how I did that. I could not do that now, actually. It's insane. I think, um, it was, I think it's like, when you're in that situation, it's so hard to actually see what's going on in the industry. You just don't have any visibility on it. But then when you get in, you're like, oh, 
I actually managed to survive the odds. Like, it, it's, yeah. and it's even worse now that, I mean, I don't know, like, if you're a uni student, let me know, like, um, you know, if, if the, that's how you see it, if it is really that difficult, or if you feel like, you know, you're going to be absolutely fine. But, yeah, I just, I didn't mm-hmm. see it when I was, when I was there. I was like, you know, literally up to graduation, I was like, I'm sorted. I'm fine. Um, and you will find the one thing I will say as well is that like when universities and stuff get people in to do talks and things, there's like usually two different types of people. You get the people that are like genuinely there to like give you advice and tell you like, you know, this is like how you do things. And there's other there that go to go. Like when I was at uni, there was like we had tons <laughs> of talks and it's like there's some people that you go into this talk and you're sitting listening and it's like, fuck me, man, this is like you're just it's constant like i did this and looking how where i am now and i managed this and then and then you listen it's like okay but like how do you get there and it's like there's no information and it's like right okay that's great you know um and and again a lot of them it will be hard work and dedication to it like for sure but some people when you're listening to them like take everything that you hear at uni from everybody even like again we like us talking we're giving you information and being like this is our experience but it's never like the 100 percent way through you know and it's like it's all opinion based so form your opinion off of multiple people don't just stick to like i don't know one or two people at uni that come in for a talk and they're like yeah that's that's correct because they'll tell you be like oh i do so much overtime and it's like yeah that's cool but that's not the way for yeah there's no, there's no like, there's no set way to make it. Like, this is kind yeah. of the reason I, um, we we set this up. I say we, it's like me, <laughs> me and the microphone. Um, but it's because back when I was at uni, the way I worked, kind of, my way in was, I'd I'd listen to people coming in. So Yuki conference, I'd I'd watch develop, I'd watch. Um, oh my god, my brain's gone blank. What's the what's the massive one in um, CGC? Is it? No, GDC. GDC. CGC is the fucking Pokemon trading card company. Just ignore it. It's the grading company. Oh my god. (laughs) That's what Stefano was doing instead of learning art. Oh yeah, no, genuinely. During uni, I was drafting, selling Pokemon cards. Risen those Pokemon cards. Actually, it's so bad, genuinely. If you want to get into production, how to produce printing money one sell Pokemon <laughs> cards <laughs> <laughs> yeah no um, GDC develop um, you know talks from unis like we did the game dev society when we were back at uni we started an entire group and we basically like what we did we just we charged like a three pound membership fee um, every game like almost every game student on the course joined it um, and the student union, like people don't know this, but like, well, at least for my uni, I don't know if it's like a thing across all student unions. I think it is. Um, but basically whatever money you earn, they double it as part of the funding. So you can essentially start like a mini business at uni. It's obviously got to be approved through them, but we charge like a three pound, um, ent- uh, joining fee, right? And we had a weekly session every Monday. Um, and with that money, they ended up raising like a grand. Um, the uni matched that. We ended up two grand. Um, and we just started inviting developers in and paying for their like travel and stuff. Um, and so many people, like if you pay for a, a developer's travel, you can get anyone. We almost got, um, there was um, a texture artist. Um, oh, what's his name? Ben. Ben Wilson. Ben Wilson. Um, amazing, amazing texture artist. Um, we were on the brink of flying him over from Sweden to teach us texturing, t- 
techniques and stuff and how we got in the industry and everything and we were going to have like a full um two days of workshop with him um and we we were actually so ambitious um the student union came over and they were like we can't let this happen like we've not actually got any policy set up for inviting um guests via the union across um so we had to cancel it and like yeah pissed him off because he booked holiday for it and stuff but like that's how far we got and eventually with you know um we actually convinced um the guys at substance to come in and teach texturing and they did a competition and gave away loads of prizes and stuff but um yeah i mean it's sidetracked a bit but we just invited loads of devs in and every dev would come in tell their story um and you just listen to all these different perspectives, right? And then from those perspectives, start building your kind of route, I guess, in and basically understanding different ways of getting in. You know, a lot of it is due to luck, but, um, you know, there's, there's such a variety of different ways. Um, you know, it's like Dan's way last week, literally straight from a competition. It's your way this week from Risen Pokemon cards. There's there's all sorts of you know routes and and hopefully like we're gonna we're gonna explore way more and there's gonna be like a big selection of like different different ways but yeah, yeah it's, it's 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 insane there is like it's just there are so many people like in the industry it's, like it, it's a small industry but it's big at the same time you know like news travels fast but like the amount of people that are actually in it it's a huge amount and I think one thing that's really important is. Um, when you think of industry, the unis obviously always go like triple A, you know. But there's indie, there's double A, there's solo, there's studio. Like, it doesn't matter what like version of the industry you go into. Every single person that's got a story that's in it is valuable information to take from them, you know. And again, like I was saying, you get some people that are like think they're like you know built different and they'll flex more than anything else. But you'll still get some nuggets of like truth within that as well. So, you know listen to everybody every single chance that you get listen to what they've got to say because it'll help you with dividends and it'll give you that kind of realistic view on the industry and not what the uni sells where it's like uh the industry is there to support you it's like you know when you're in the industry yes absolutely but see when you're outside of it it's not it's a case of you have to put in the work to get there the industry is not going to give you on a silver platter you know I make it sound like this is the industry's like an actual person. <laughs> yeah. But it's you know what I mean? It's like if you want to get to somewhere, you have to put in the effort for it. And it's like whether with Lewis, it's like even traveling country with a job to make sure that he got in and then build up his skills that way. You know, like with Dan putting in the work, going to these competitions and grafting away. For me, selling Pokemon card. No, um for <laughs> <laughs> me like working through uni and doing that sort of stuff and putting myself out there you know any single person and again as people come onto Lewis's podcast you know you'll hear from them as well and it's the same kind of thing everybody's putting a massive amount of effort so you know it is a true dream industry like and and you're not just going to get that for free um it's you know it, t- it takes a lot of graft takes a lot of graft but you know it's not it's not the highest paying industry right you're not going to get like the same as like mm. a you know, a banker or investment manager or, you know, but you get to come in and make art, you get to make video games, you get to make, like, a really cool product. And, you know, everyone going into a games course wants to do that. Um, I almost feel like the games courses at unis are almost there to fund the other courses, right? Because they get so much intake. Um, 
And then, you, you know, oh, we upgraded your DX racers in the computer lab. It's like, come on, where's the rest of that, like, 40 grand you get in every three years from each student when there's, like, 400 Do you know students what's wild, course, you know? right? So when I when I started uni, it would have been, oh, was it 20, 20, 20 I think? I did two years at uni because I skipped first year because I went to college. So it would have been one, two, yeah. So 2020, right? Um, I remember the lecturers were talking to us about the amount of people that were on the course. In 20... Was it 15? I Again, these dates are probably going to be like massively wrong. But when the, <laughs> the course first started, they had like a class of like 90 people, right? But the entire year, it was like 90 people. By the time it came to like my year doing it, there was like 490, close to 500 students. It's insane. And that's one year worth as well so it's insane the amount of people that are coming out with degrees and then you know not either not making it or you know really pushing you for it but it does take a while as well so i think like obviously while we're talking about like it's a dream industry and everybody that wants to work in games does do it don't i think what and again the uni might not sell this well either is don't expect to come out of uni with a job like you have to work for it and sometimes it does take a while there's people that i know that went to uni that are still looking now and it's been like what two years since they graduated a year and a half you know some people are still doing it now and the only thing you really need to do in between all of that work on your folio you know i see a lot of people online that are like oh you know like build up your you know internet presence and do that sort of stuff that's fine but it doesn't really get you anywhere because it doesn't show your skills build your portfolio up like in between working Get those projects done, you know? Like, finish those stuff. You look at, like, somebody like, I don't know, like, Lewis Stans or even any of the other guys, like, at Art. Um, you look at their portfolios, their portfolio pieces and stuff. They've got personal and actual work. Put the hours into that portfolio work because that's what gets you employed, not, you know, having the thousand, five thousand, ten thousand followers on Twitter, you know? Like, you can yeah, have those that. Followers don't mean anything if you ain't got the work to back it up. Like, you can't yeah. just make it in with just mates alone. No, definitely not. Um, so, it's it's hard, man. Um, yeah, oh, my my brain's just gone blank. I was just about to say something. Um, Christ, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is why people do a script, mate. Um, yeah, exactly. Doing things like off. <laughs> yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's what I was gonna say. Um, basically, right? You're at uni. You've got so much time. Um, mm-hmm. to do things honestly like if there's one thing like we'll, we'll come on to like Stefano's three things that he wish he knew when he was younger but um, you know when I first started uni I wish I didn't take the time that I had for granted um, because honestly now if I want to do a personal project something that could take me like a day at uni right is now now takes me like a few nights to do um, which doesn't sound like horrible in the long run but when motivation comes and goes the way it does sometimes, you know, sometimes you'll have a really stressful day. I mean, today I came home and I was like, do I want to record this tonight or do I want to leave it? Because I was pretty, like, tired from the day. I mean, Stefano knows we had a pretty, like, long day today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, like... <laughs> um, yeah, don't don't underestimate that time. Like, really, don't don't go clubbing all the time you know do it once a week or whatever but like really knuckle down try and do those core work hours at uni because your final year you'll have like two days in uni you'll have like a half day and then a full day the rest of that week do something with it please because honestly like when it's gone you will regret it forever it's the last chance you'll ever get outside of a full-time job to do it 
like honestly and when you like i, I mean I'm, I'm trying to think of an example but our, our friend john right um really talented dude um came out of uni at a really rough time to get a job in the industry um and he ended up having to work um he was working full time while working on his portfolio at the same time to get it up to standard and it took him a year after uni to get that first industry job uh and you know that was back before I'd say it's probably like double as worse now with the amount of courses there are. Like it's it's crazy. Like that's back when the opportunities were like slightly better, but still like timing is everything as well. Like you might graduate a year where like no one is hiring for a junior role. You know, at the moment I'm seeing a lot about there's only senior and lead roles available and stuff like that. And there's a big argument of like, you know, there's no senior and lead talent because you're not hiring juniors and training them up and, and stuff like that. So really take advantage of the time you got because it will be gone and you will hate everything you'll never be able to finish any games that you've got and, and like you'll never be able to work on your skills outside of work like you know if I have to model anything that isn't a sci-fi crate I'm screwed <laughs> it's, it's dangerous I can't I can't if it's not a box you can't do it I've forgotten what for... wood looks like <laughs> yeah never made guns you can't do that anymore no boxes only oh man anyway yeah so Let's let's move on. Um, I, w- I want to know now, Stefano. Right, three things mm-hmm. that you wish you knew when you were younger, back when you were a little a little whippersnapper, running around the village selling oh, Pokemon cards, um, um, training tax, in stolen tax guns. fraud, and how to avoid the law. <laughs> that would be the top three. <laughs> That's the title of your book, mate. <laughs> don't quote me on that, FBI, please. Mi five, wherever. Don't don't come after me. No. Um, I think top like three things for me would be um, kind of how the industry actually like operates, and when I say that, because that's very broad, I mean in terms of like what roles are actually out there, right? Because when I went to uni, um, I think for a lot of you, it it might be the same, it might not. But you go to uni, and you're like, oh, I want to be a level designer. And it's like, okay, cool. But do you know that like a designer can also be a narrative designer? It could be a content designer for missions. It could be, you know, like you're designing like graphic designer, that sort of stuff. There's a lot of like, I feel like the unis don't, focus on all these like specific sub roles like audio designer for example they don't focus on that they focus on the ones that they can actually train for which are the easiest to train for which is like again art level design that sort of content design that sort of thing Um, and even content design is very rare so i think just knowing the full scope of jobs that are out there possibly in industry definitely would have been like a top one for me um by the way um if you do want to check it out hit has got a fantastic um list of all jobs that are in the industry not maybe not all jobs but quite a lot of them um so i'd recommend checking that out so that's hit marker um for them um so yeah jobs in the industry uh i think how stressful production actually is um when i came into this job, I was expecting production not to be as stressful as what it was. I think like I didn't have a core understanding of what production truly was at the time. Um, like again, like I had experience managing and all of that sort of stuff and producing for teams at uni. But again, like I was saying before, it's a completely different ball game to when you're actually working in like you know the the world of work, as schools would put it. Um, so yeah, I think. Knowing what jobs are actually out there, what production is actually like, how stressful it is. Um, and I think the third thing that I wish I knew was that 
it's okay not to go to uni for that stuff. Um, now, I say that with the context that you can go to college first and go to uni, and that's fine. Um, college courses will never be super um, uh, focused or specialised. They're usually very generic courses. And again, this is coming from somebody who's went to Scotland, uh, went to uni and college in Scotland, which is very different to England, um, which is obviously where I'm from originally. That doing um, college first gave me, I don't know, it didn't really prepare me super well for uni, but it gave me a broad understanding. If you go to college and then skip years at uni by going through college, you've got to be prepared that you're not going to be at the same speed or quality as what the uni students are at. That's just a fact. It doesn't matter what college you go to. So you have to do double work. Um, And then when you're out of uni, again, you're going to have to make sure that your portfolio is top-notch and you're continually working again as well. So, yeah, I think, you know, the what jobs are in the industry, what production was actually like, and then knowing that there are multiple paths into industry. You get some people that haven't even went to university and they've gotten into production and done it that way because they've went and worked as a project manager for Amazon and then they went, I want to go into games. Or like, for example, one of the guys that I work with used to be a real estate agent and now he works in games. It's, you know, it, you can go either way. It doesn't matter. Um, but the one thing to take away from that is that if you don't have a degree and you want to work abroad, you're going to find it very, very difficult to do so. You have to be able to prove that you can work because visa, visa applications and all that sort of stuff, especially for America, nine times out of ten require you to have a degree of some sort to prove that you can actually do the job. So, for example, for me, because I left early, I don't have a degree. Well, I have a degree. I have a bachelor's in games design and production, but I don't have a bachelor's with honors. And that could be the difference between getting a visa or not getting a visa. Whoa. If a company's going to, yeah, if companies are going to sponsor you, then that's fine. But if you're doing it on your own, you have to. You really do need that degree if you want to work abroad. So, but if you're working in the UK, then it's fine, <laughs> or it might be fine. So, yeah, it might be fine. Might might be fine. Well, you never know. It could be somebody could sit there and be like, "Well, actually, I never got a degree, and I've always worked my life, and I got into games." And it's like, right, well, that's fine. But again, that's one path out of you know thousands. He's built different. Actually. He won his job. Lottery. Yeah. Oh man, if I could buy a lottery ticket for a game dev job, that'd be sick. Actually. <laughs> so hang on, uh, that that was two, right? No, that was three. That was oh, three. It was, was it? jobs. It was jobs in the <laughs> summarize. Summarize. I talked that much that he's forgotten about it. Jobs. What jobs are actually in the industry? Yeah. What production actually is slash how stressful it is, um, and uh, not. Oh my god, I'm getting put off now. Ah, you not going. Not. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> um, and going to uni. Like, um, university is not the only option. Like, um, and. You know, I, I you can add on to it all the time for that kind of stuff because there's so many different caveats. But if you're an English student and you're looking to go to, for example, like I went to Abertay, which is like one of the best in Scotland for games, or was at the time. I don't know if it still is. Um, if you're encouraged to go to those types of universities and you're not from Scotland, be prepared to take out a massive loan to do that because your student debt is going to go through the roof compared to Scottish students. And you really, really have to make sure that you are 100% I want to work in games because otherwise it's going to be a case of you're spending upwards of like, I don't know, like 70 grand in student debt 
just to get a degree for you then not to use it, you know? So... Wait, what's that for? What, for UK? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you... you spend the grand? Well, if you're an English student, right, and you apply to a Scottish uni, you don't get your tuition fees paid uh... for you. And if you're a Scottish student going to a Scottish uni, your tuition fees are free. So you only have to really take out a student don't, loan, don't which Scotland, is like a personal thing. <laughs> Scotland's the best country. Move to Scotland. 70 grand. A Scottish citizen. Well, it depends. 70 grand. Course. I'll make it the best country, mate. <laughs> well, if you think about it, I think like what? Each course is worth like what? A year is four grand, maybe something I, I suppose like that. you have the master's degree on if you're doing one of them. Well, yeah, true, I, I was yeah. going to say, I've done, I've done my bachelor's. I've got honours. And I'm, on, I'm like, I think I'm like 40, 42 grand or something. Maybe I don't know. I know that my uh, my flatmate's on like something like eighty. I think it's insane, actually. Um, is, that, is that Conrad? Ah, uh, there you go. Yeah, at English and Northern <laughs> Irish universities, you can be charged up to nine and a half grand a year Sheesh. to go If you study outside of Scotland, your fees won't be paid. So there you go. So, yeah, that's something to keep in mind. You know, if you want to go to these unis that have got really good courses, they cost a lot. And if you're not from Scotland, they are going to shaft you big time. So, you know. Go work at McDonald's instead. That's the advice Um, I'm hearing. Right. On to... Right, so we've got got a couple of questions. We've got a couple of audience questions, Stefano. Oh, a couple of them? Yeah. Not just the one you've seen from Rob trolling. Big up, Um, Rob. But <laughs> yeah, there's actually a, a legit one as well mm. that's been sent in from from the squad. So first of all, um, we'll start with the the series. Well, they're both serious ones, to be honest. The, the seri- you know what? <laughs> He's gonna fucking roll you at work, by the way. <laughs> Maybe he can do it. I'll, I've got my Nerf gun ready. Like you know, He's I'll, got I'll a filter sitting waiting for like forty bugs just to dump on your lap. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the first question is. Um, what advice do you have for someone that's that's about to take their GCSEs and maybe wanting to get into games or specifically production? Ooh. So this is obviously a really hard one because, like you know, I, I mean, when you're that age, you don't really know. I, I guess, I guess, let, let's let's open it a bit. Um, mm-hmm. What advice would you have for someone taking their GCSEs wanting to to get into games? Um, full stop. Well. First off, I am going to say this with a massive caveat. I failed my exams like two years in a row at high school. So, you know, I'm probably maybe not the best person to ask. Uh, It took me until my sixth year to actually get like decent grades. And that was the reason I went to college. So with that pretext, um, if you're looking to get into production, for GCSEs, it doesn't really matter too much as long as what you're studying. So again, I, I assume... It goes GCSE higher and advanced higher for you guys, right? Or is it A star? Or how does that work? Fuck. Uh, GCSEs followed by A levels or B tech level right. three, which is higher education, and then it's uni level, which I don't know what you define that as. Right. Okay. Yeah. So your GCSE is your first level. So for and again, and for context, for any Scottish students. You've got your National Fives, your Hires and Advanced Hires. I don't know if that's changed since I was there, but that's what it was. So your first set of exams, it doesn't really matter what you set at that moment in time, right? You can basically make sure that you score good maths and English, obviously. Anything else over and above is like a win. When it comes to setting your Hires and you're a little bit more focused, look at the universities. Um, 
look at the universities that are basically offering games courses, right? Because what you'll find is that a lot of universities won't just offer production. They'll offer like games design and production, or they'll offer game design. So look at those unis, see what they need, and aim for that. You're, realistically, your high school exams and your high school subjects really should be aiming towards getting you into the university course that you want to do, right? Um, if there's anything extra, like if you enjoy art, for example, do things that you enjoy, right? Like, do the exams that you need to do to get in, and if you need to take anything extra, take the stuff that you're interested in, because it's easy credits at that point, right? Like, if you're doing something you enjoy, you're going to be invested in it, and you're going to be encouraged to do well in it, um, and, you know, you'll just make your overall exam time maybe not less stressful, but you'll enjoy it a bit more because it's, you know, work that you're actually encouraging to do. I did, um, like, graphic communication, for example, at high school. It's nothing to do with, you know, production management or, like, production at all, but I enjoyed it, and I got a good marks in it because I enjoyed it, and I put the effort into it. It's only really when you start getting into, like, university level that that's when you're really, like, okay, I need to take these courses in order, or even, like, again, with college and BTEX, I need to do these to get into uni to sit this course, and when I'm on this course, that's when you can start to specialise. So, for somebody that's a GCSE level, take what you enjoy, but make sure that you do well in the core subjects like English, maths, and at least a science, I would say just to cover you, just in case if you decide later on down the line, maybe I don't want to do games. Because you might change your mind between now and university, or you might even change your mind when you're at university and switch course. You know? So as long as you've got like the core foundation subjects, you're flying. Is what I would suggest. <laughs> the, the infinity stones of the subject. Yeah, exactly. If Thanos <laughs> had an infinity stone for every single subject, it'd be maths, English, and then all three sciences. <laughs> <laughs> Christ. But no, yeah, I would, I would go with, I would go with that. At least maths and English and science, and then anything else you enjoy. And then university is really where you need to focus on. I need these subjects to get in. So nice. Yeah, agree. agree hard agree with all that. Hard agree. Um, next question. What's your biggest fuck up? Oh. Do you know what? Failing your exams, probably, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Like, and now this is in the context of like, is it at work biggest fuck up, or is it like outside of work biggest fuck up? Because there's plenty of outside of work fuck ups, <laughs> and that's just me being like a fanny, essentially. Or it's like at work where I've been like, it's cringe. Um, <laughs> do you know uh, what? Right, I think the biggest. I'll give you one work and not one work, and I think that will probably be a good balance. So the one work is um, I was new to the company, maybe about six months in or something. It was just around about probation time, uh, like ending, um, and we had like a a big feature that was going out. Um, and like all other companies usually have, they have like stage gate reviews. So you review the content at certain points to make sure that it's fine, and then you do a final review and it goes out. And on that final review, my manager at the time wasn't in, and I was left running it, and I was, like, fresh. I had no idea what to do. I invited all of these, like, really important directors to the meeting, um, invited the dev and all of that sort of stuff, and his manager, we sat down, started the recording. I thought it was going fine, about to take notes, and then the dev didn't have any work prepared. And it was up to me, and I didn't realise that it was up to me at the time to make sure that they were prepared with that work. Um, so I basically invited like 10 or 15 of these like really, you know, like influential directors into this call with no managerial support being like, 
oh fuck, he's not getting any work. And it, would, it did not go down well. They were like, this is a waste of time. I don't know why you wasted my time doing all this. I felt so bad. I just wanted to like turn. And it was only me out of like everybody on that team that had their camera on with all the directors. And I just wanted to like crawl up in the ball and die. It was horrendous actually I've never like I keep going back to this day because it's just so bad it's like ingrained in my memory and I can never actually get into that <laughs> so you know that's pretty it's bad that's it's pretty bad, bad. fuck up I just sit there afterwards and call my manager and be like oh I've done something bad explained it to her and she was like oh no I was like yeah <laughs> oh. It's, oh but luckily you know we survive we move on you make mistakes and again Going back to what I was saying before, you you learn these things through doing it, and there's no repercussions really in uni. Having repercussions like that in real life really fucking sets you straight. <laughs> you know, messing um, up, messing up's the best thing to do, man, because it's, oh, it's the best way to learn. Yeah, um, do you know what? You'll never find somebody that hasn't made a mistake, and everybody, even if they've got imposter syndrome, because everybody has it. Everybody will make a mistake at some point, no matter how well they hide it. <laughs> so don't make, don't worry about making mistakes. Generally, so you know. Um, and an outside of work one, um, yeah, being an idiot, skate parks and stuff. I think would probably be the best one when I was a kid and just doing really stupid, dangerous stuff. Um, I think, yeah, that would probably be the skate? other one. Yeah, yeah, I used to skate quite a bit. I don't do it too much anymore. I I longboard now. You know, I've uh, oh. I've evolved into a longboarder. <laughs> Isn't longboarding just safe skating? Safe, safe skating. <laughs> yeah. Can't my knees, man. Over. I'm getting old. My knees can't keep up with it anymore. So, um, but no, um, <laughs> yeah, just doing dangerous stuff when skateboarding and stuff, and then you know, using not skateboards but like trolleys and other sorts of. <laughs> Things that have wheels and skate parks That's is not, not a great idea. He likes switching out vehicles. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> genuinely. You've got a skateboard, trolley, piece of wood, you know, like... Two nah, two oil yeah. barrels with a yeah. two rifle. Do you, know, do you know what? Enjoy your youth, but don't try and die while doing it, you know? Like, <laughs> don't do what I did. That's a bad mistake. <laughs> biggest biggest <laughs> fuck-up. Died before I got, got into the game. <laughs> Died before I came a producer, yeah. Literally. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. What, what two beautiful answers? Yeah, um, I know. Wow, yeah. I wasn't expecting that. I'll be, I'll be asking you for deets on that first one tomorrow. Oh, uh, I told you Jade about feel... it, and it's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Like you know what? Like when you first, when you when you joined, I honestly thought you were like untouchable. You were like the fucking most skilled producer I've ever seen. Um, but Open yeah. Me up. Just all, it was all in secret. All, all the mess ups are in secret. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he can be killed. He does bleed. And, no. <laughs> Amazing. Well, yeah, I would just want to say thanks. For, thanks for your time this evening, Stefano. Um, no worry. I'm yeah, sure thank you very much for having people, me. A lot of yeah, people thank you to everybody. Useful. Thank you to everybody at home for listening as well. Yeah, yeah. Pleasure. All, all two of you. Um, audiences <laughs> growing by one plus MI5 listening to where the UK economy is coming from. Rob, if you're listening, you'll get a laugh. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Well done. I expect him now. on this podcast at some point as well. So I'm calling you out now, Rob. You better come on oh, here. If he, want, if he wants to do it, he can. he's, he's welcome to. Yeah. I'll put a Jira in for him. We'll get it done. I've got quite, um, quite a list of people building. I think... Um, I don't know who I'm summoning next. I might either summon Carl um, or CJ. 
to talk about motion capture. But um, Ooh, yeah, we'll, we'll, would be interesting. Yeah, we'll have um, we'll have a look at, at the roster and see who we can summon for next week. Um, but yeah, um, final thing, Stefano, you got anything you want to say to um, our two listeners and MI five? I don't do tax fraud, so it's fine. I don't do definitely. <laughs> and I paid my taxes on those Pokemon cards, so it's okay. Yeah, no, I paid that. <laughs> I paid that off. Profiteering tax. <laughs> Amazing. Well, yeah, um, um, genuinely, as, as a serious point, like, again, you know, like what Dan was saying before, like in the previous podcast, and you'll hear other people say it as well, don't stress about it. When you're at uni, you're there to learn. You're there to have fun, but make sure you know structured days. Make sure you get the work done. And then when you, you know, apply for those jobs in the industry, you're not the only one. You know, there's tons and tons of people. So make sure you stand out. Get those extra skills under your belt. Get those extra projects done, and you'll be sailing actually. So, but yeah. And there we Good have luck. it. There we have it, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, you've been listening to the Game Dev Origins podcast with Stefano and Lewis. Uh, and yeah, we'll see you again next Monday um, for our next episode. Thanks for listening. Cheers, folks. <laughs>